bad things happen all the time, but they're, but something like that has like a little extra something to it. You know, it's, it's not just like bad things are happening. It's like, oh, we might actually be living in hell. Hey folks, welcome to Lights Out Mass, a podcast about government transparency or the lack thereof in Massachusetts. I'm Andrew Comer here with my co-host, Jeff Raymond. How's it going, everyone? And we're recording on Thursday, August 31st, 2023. And we're going to do something a little bit different this time. We're not really going to be focused on the whole transparency thing. We've just got a great guest today that we're going to talk to. We're here with Luke O'Neill. He is the author of the Welcome to Hell World newsletter. He's the author of uh, two nonfiction books, Welcome to Hell World and Lockdown in Hell World. And his most recent book is a short story collection called A Creature Wanting Form. So, uh, Luke, how's it going? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, doing okay. It's a uh, oddly uh, chilly August day here in what's been one of the mildest augusts i've i can remember in a long time and i think that's it's probably <laughs> always going to be the case forever going forward right the weather's always going to be beautiful <laughs> yeah it's not it's actually a nice day but uh so beyond the weather uh you've been talking about some interesting stuff lately there was one thing actually before we like get into your current writing there was something i wanted to ask you about did you you used to write for dig boston right i did that was my first Oh, it wasn't my it wasn't my technically my first job in media, but it was you know my first sort of real job in media. I uh, <clears throat> I after college I went and worked uh, for Condé Nast for a couple of years, um, and then I came back to Boston to go to Emerson, and uh, I got a uh, I was doing a master's and I got a job as an editor at the Dig, and I decided to just quit my master's degree instead of turning in the thesis and because I had made it as a writer, I got a $20,000 $20, a year job being the music editor of, of the weekly dig as we called it back then. Yeah. This is for people who aren't familiar. Like an, it's an alt weekly. It's one of those papers like you, you'll see them on the side of the road. You grab it for free. Um, and Luke, did you hear though that uh, dig recently stopped publication? We like even just the website. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think there was like an announcement about it, but they that I spoke uh, to uh, one of the editors the other day, and yeah, it's it stopped. No, I hadn't. I hadn't heard that. I, you know, I, I'm friends with uh, Farone, uh, you know, the editor and publisher or whatever. But he, had, I didn't see him uh, mention that online or anything. That that's that's real shitty news, and obviously it's. Uh, you know, just a part of a huge trend for all the alt weeklies that have been dropping like flies over the past 10 years or so, however long it's been, you know? Yeah. Uh, Any yeah. small outlets, really, because yeah. I was a small outlet writer for my the, my hometown. And, you know, it got sold off to a IT company in New Jersey. And it's yeah. like, you know, we don't have anybody on the ground here doing news anymore. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, and uh... I I did used to write for Dig free on a freelance basis as well. Although there there was one uh, positive piece of this news, which is that uh, the guys who were running Dig uh, they launched a new publication called Horizon Mass Horizon Mass dot News, and this is going to be like a more student uh, journalist driven publication from the announcement they put out, but. 
you know, still sad to see Dig go. Uh, yeah, sure, I almost. Sure. Yeah, that's that's real sad news. And uh, you know, it was a huge part of my of my life for many years. You know, I I worked worked there in the office when it used to be on East Berkeley Street. Well, I, I started. It used to be on Kingston Street when I started, and just just like little loft. And uh, and then we moved over to East Berkeley Street, and it was you know was really thriving when I first started there. And then and then Boston Magazine, whatever the company is that owns Boston Magazine, and and uh, I think Philly Mag bought it. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I still remember the day that I got fired from the dig. It was <laughs> it was convenient because Foley's was right across the street uh, in both locations, actually both different Foley's. You know, two great iconic old Boston dive bars. And uh, yeah, I remember Joe Cohen, who was, you know, he was a great uh, editor and, and writer. And you guys probably know him. And he told me the news and I was like, yeah, yeah, I probably had it coming. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> just... <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard this story before. Yeah. Yeah. It was Joe and Jeff Lawrence and, and who used to own it. And uh, no, but the truth was, yeah, I did have it coming. I used to like, I mean, this was, you know, the early 2000s and uh you know when you're in your 20s and you're in an office where there's you know everyone's smoking weed everywhere and there's a keg and you know uh they used to do a little bit too much partying back there in the middle of work day. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get fired from the the office where everyone's high all the time you know they're <laughs> going great you know yeah. but I obviously learned a lot and everything you know that all, and then after you know, I worked for the Phoenix for a long time after that, and the Village Voice, and before you know, and those both are dead now too, of course. Um, but that all weekly spirit, you know, uh, really informs what I do now with my reporting and writing for Hellworld. Yeah, it's been when I was writing for Dig. It was in the last more, you know, it was more recently. It was since maybe 2015 or so that I've had work published there. And I don't know what your experience is, but what I thought was great about Dig was they looked for like really good journalism, you know, like, you know, factual reporting, but you're allowed to have like your own voice and to throw in like some opinions and, you know, not just like sort of pull back and do the whole just the facts thing. Like it's. Yeah, was, yeah. That's but you, you had a voice at least, you know, like you, you weren't just like the whole uh, what do they call it? The view from nowhere kind right. of thing. Right. And that's that's what I sort of. Uh, when I started the Hell World newsletter, I guess maybe five or six years ago now, I had been, you know, not to sound weird, but I'd been writing for a lot of prestigious publications and was kind of, you know, climbing the ladder a little bit. Um, but I always ended up butting heads with somebody along the way and either got fired or quit from basically every job I ever had, you know, and that maybe I'm just a fucking asshole. I don't know. But <laughs> part of it is that uh, you can't, you had, I, I just don't want to, you know, do that sort of stuff, you know, like you, I don't want to, I, I write this, I say this sort of thing a lot, but like, I don't want to go when there's, there's two parties to a situation. There's often one of them is the one that's abusing and harming the other. I don't want to go to that guy and be like, what was your you know what was your motivation for poisoning the river you know or like how do you feel about the fact that you just mowed down all the protesters in a car uh there are good guys and bad guys you know we all like to became sophisticated 
somewhere along the way to think like the world is gray, but it's like very often it's not, you know, very often it's black and white. And, you know, you see this with the New York Times, like lately and in their insistence on covering the issue of transgender uh, health as if, you know, on one side we have people that want to just live their lives and get the health care they need and they're not bothering anybody on the other side we have fucking genocidal assholes and you're like oh well we have to hear from both sides in order to work in a you know write a story for a mainstream newspaper and that sort of thing i don't know i just don't want to do that and you know i was lucky to figure out a space where i wouldn't have to you were one of the first like newsletters that I remember like subscribing to in the post RSS era. So like for me, you were like a pioneer in this area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, as somebody who's like a baby starting out in his little newsletter world, you know, seeing how you've done it and how you've moved along from one place to another. It's like, you know, I know you were on Substack when they started you know, getting everybody on Substack. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I know you shifted to Ghost, which is actually the platform I've been using. I'm kind of curious how that's worked out for you since that switch, because it's been about a year, year and a half now, right? Yeah, like a year and a half or so. Uh, yeah, I was pretty early on Substack. And, you know, just be aware if I say anything that sounds like I'm, you know, uh, too full of myself, I'm fully aware of how <laughs> awkward it is to, you know, big up yourself. But, um yeah, I was pretty, uh, I guess I was one of the early Substack success stories or whatever, you know, because I wasn't famous or anything. I had, a, you know, a modest following online and, you know, all that. But a lot of the people that came after me were sort of household journalism names and they started, you know, making all this stupid money. Um, but I managed to make a, a, a fine living off of it. And then uh, the Substack guys just sort of revealed themselves as these, this weird brand of, you know, Silicon Valley sort of uh, dipping their toes into fashy shit. Um, and, you know, I, I finally decided I had to hide enough. Like, I feel like it's one thing to post on Twitter, which I still do, uh, sadly, uh, because I'm addicted <laughs> to it. Um, but it's another thing to, like, have my entire business and, you know, the, the place that I, that I, you know, send out these the stuff that I really care about and work on, you know, it's different than a tweet. So yeah, I jumped over to ghost and uh, it's been fine. Uh, sort of growth is stagnated. Like Substack definitely has good like network effects, I think. Um, and ghost is sort of much lesser known and, and that sort of thing. Um, but well, how do you, how have you found ghost? Um, so far so good, but I mean like my whole, my whole thing has really been I post things on Twitter and I didn't have a fraction of the readership. You know, I, I worked for a small town weekly, you know, mm -hmm. and it was a freelance 40 hours, 40, 40 bucks a week, you know, 950 words, a thousand fifty if you feel a little loquacious, you know. Right. And and so, you know, I'm I'm approaching this now with us with statewide projects in a different kind of vein. And at the end of the day, it's like this is more of an excuse for me to do all the work I like to do. As opposed to, you know, if other people read it and get something out of it, that's an extra bonus. But this kind of scratches that itch for me and lets me, you know, explore stuff on the side while I work my real world job. You know, I do yeah. think it's. It, well, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I mean, I was. If go ahead, finish your thought. I was going to. I was going to say, I do think it's a it's a fabulous model. You just 
the thing that you know and again i'm what the fuck do i know you know uh people do ask me for advice all the time about newsletter stuff and i was like i don't know just you know the couple of things just went the right way at the right time you know and uh um but you do have to this well there's two different ways if you're just doing a newsletter and it's something you just want to do for yourself and you get a little bit of an audience that's great if you're trying to make a living at it especially with actual reporting in journalism like you guys do uh especially stuff that's kind of like you know labor intensive (laughs) yeah labor intensive and not firing off takes you know that's i mean we all know that nobody wants to pay for you know investigations into local officials and shit you know they want to get a take on the fucking guy with the song whatever it's called you know (laughs) oh yeah by the way, I don't understand why. When was the last time anyone talked about the number one download on iTunes? Nobody, like, we're all supposed to. <laughs> so, well, yeah. so here's the problem. I'm giving a take on the guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so, anyway, I mean, like, Luke, I'll just say, like, I, I do really enjoy your rating. And I think, like, the way you write is if you just explain it, like, literally, like, you write these long run on sentences with no punctuation, it just sounds like you know okay what is, what is this guy doing but like when you actually read it like in context of all this stuff that's going on in the world it's like you really capture this anxiety of like just existing in this world where we're constantly being barraged by all this like horrifying news and we have like we all feel so small and so like unable to affect any like meaningful change and uh, I mean, I guess like it, that's why you call it Hell World, right? But uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, that's what it says on the tin. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think that that's also why your newsletter caught on because you have this particular voice that is very uh, it's you know it's really tuned into the zeitgeist. I think, but you know, like speaking of Hell World, what's going on in Hell World right now that people should be thinking about or should oh have, have anxiety about? <laughs> well, tell us about the rich men north of Brockton, Luke. Uh... <laughs> yeah, like, well, I, actually, I grew up south of Brockton. I grew up in Kingston. Wait, ah. that is, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good uh, I'm a good South Shore boy. Yeah. Do uh, they allow you back there now is the question. Because <laughs> Well, interestingly, I think I think Kingston did go for Biden this time around, but I'm pretty sure it I'm pretty sure like it went for McCain versus Obama. Like it's it's not it's weird. I don't know if you guys know that the South Shore, but it's pretty conservative. It's more conservative, yeah. And it's strange because I had no I don't know if it was like that when I was growing up. I have no idea. I think that was a shift because when I grew was growing up down there, there's maybe like ten thousand people in the town. I think it's like gotten bigger and you know probably all the houses have increased in value like you know five times or whatever um but yeah that massachusetts is as you guys very well know is a weird place in that like even you know even when the republic when trump gets like 35 percent here or whatever he got like it's a lot of people you know what yeah. i mean like, there's a lot of fucking shitheads and supposedly this liberal they're all in Worcester. don't worry it's uh <laughs> <laughs> With this supposed liberal bastion, and meanwhile, half of our Democrats are just are conservatives. They just put D next to the name because they wouldn't get elected otherwise. You know what I mean? It's like one of these, a lot of these states like, you know, New York and California and New Jersey, I guess, have this problem where you might have a trifecta 
but half of your Democrats are, you know, reactionary dickheads. Uh, so like nothing gets done, you know? Um, but I don't know what, what did I been, uh, I mean, I'm today, I, I, today I did a sort of a weird piece with talking about a real catalog of bullshit that's going on. Like there's these, you've seen these, uh, flotation devices with the razor wires and the yeah. saws on the border and, and you know, yeah we're talking about texas rio grande right 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 and apparently they're they're those things are being constructed by prison labor in texas so that's like an see like that's the thing i think that's like the hell world special sauce you know like something that makes like all bad things happen all the time but they're but Something like that has like a little extra something to it. You know, it's, it's not just like bad things are happening. It's like, oh, we might actually be living in hell, you know, like prison. <laughs> are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know if you like Star Wars, but like that reminds me of, have you, if you've seen the TV show Andor where he gets like falsely arrested, he's put in like a prison and he's like, they're forced to build like weapons for the Imperial war effort. You know, oh, wow. it's like, it's like the same thing, except it's real life. Exactly. I didn't see that one. I don't, I, uh, you know, obviously I like the Star Wars movies, but it's funny. Like, um, I feel like when I was a little boy, I maybe wished on a monkey's paw. And I was like, I wish there would be Star Wars movies every year. For <laughs> And now, now look what they, they got. They're all kind of, although I hear Andor was like the one that's like the good, the best one of all. I the, liked it. It was pretty good. That's right. It's kind of like, Kind of people were saying it was like kind of lefty, almost revolutionary, right? A little or, bit, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I thought it was like uh it's like a more darker, uh, like grim, uh, look. But yeah, you, yeah, it's kind of like he gets into the the rebellion and everything. Uh, yeah, I like that. And um, I just can't pay for another. I pay for so <laughs> so many fucking streaming services, man. Yeah. Um, another thing I liked today uh, was particularly hellworthy was uh. Nikki Haley saying that, you know, we need to raise the the retirement age from uh, she said 65 is way too low. And um, and meanwhile, for the second year in a row, the, the life expectancy in the United States dropped. So it's like now 76, like 76 years is our life expectancy compared to around like 83, I think, for like, you know, peer country, richer countries. And it's been going down for a couple of years, like all the other countries after COVID, like COVID obviously made a, you know, a, a, you know, things go down pretty much everywhere. But all those other countries, you know, Japan and South Korea and Europe countries, they've they've all on the uh, uptick, except us, we are they're still going down. Um, so that's kind of like a nice intersection, like we need to raise the retirement age higher than 65 Republicans are saying. And, but meanwhile, you know, we're going to die. We're going to work until we die at this rate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like Haley, you know, she's just trying to find something that'll stick because that's just a vacuum in itself, the entire primary. And it's like, I was reading that when you put it in there and I'm like, didn't France essentially set itself on fire for, yeah. um, you know, trying to lower the age two years or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, talk about the different culture shocks between the two, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. We're a deeply diseased country, man. It's, <laughs> not good. It, yeah. it's not good. Um, I, you know, I, I, yeah, but yeah, Haley, they're all, it's insane that it's going to be Trump 
you know, like no matter what, they're all scrap, you know, they're all. You've already given up. <laughs> I mean, who else would have, you know. I know. DeSantis has fallen apart. Well, he's like a charisma void. Not that the rest of the lot is, are very fucking, you know, charismatic, but God, that dude sucks. Yeah, but just the whole thing is like this massive train wreck like you can't look away like trump going on trial at the same time that all this is happening it's like made for tv it's like just insane like no, just... if it was made for tv they would send it back for rewrites because yeah. it's yeah exactly it's like it's a little too on the nose a little too <laughs> contrived you know it is it's really it's really stupid um but yeah i don't know i didn't watch the debate i, I don't really i don't really care I, i've been trying not to, i haven't really watched much cable news and in, in a while yeah. i uh i turn it on if there's a some sort of uh massive ecological disaster or a massive shooting of some kind and i guess those happen pretty frequently so you know this <laughs> so i take it back i guess i do turn them on <laughs> um but yeah that that is uh i don't know i th- i mean that's what we were joking about the weather to start off or whatever, but I do, I have been sort of freaking out a little bit because that whole experience with the, with the wildfire smoke kind of fucked me up. You know, yeah. the Canadian wildfires came down. There was like two, two separate weeks that it came down into, you know, Massachusetts. And it's not like I didn't, I'm not saying I didn't believe climate change is real right? obviously i do uh and obviously i knew it's going to affect us all in many different ways but that was like the first time that it was weird in a way that scared me because like you know we get blizzards in massachusetts we get hurricanes every now and again you know bad storms like that we get heat we get cold but it never occurred to me like the entire air would be smoke that you can't breathe you know we're insulated yeah. from it up here to an extent because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you've lived here your entire life, you're used to cold winters, you're going to get a few big snowstorms, you know, and, and, and it's just, you know, climate is just, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait a minute, that's always the right. joke around here, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, it's, I can't remember the last time it was that in my, in our face about it. Like, I think I remember back when I was in college 20 something years ago, there was that wildfire that like turned the sky purple for three days <laughs> you oh, know yeah. and that was like a big deal yeah you know but it, this is uh yeah i mean it it, it kind of brought it all home in a really weird yeah. way and I, yeah i mean i think that like this stuff beyond the like obvious like physical and health effects it has like there's like a psych- psychological impact too it's like like who used to check the air quality before they went out now it's like i <laughs> see it's like a cloudy day i'll check the air just to make sure it's not like smoke you know like <laughs> for sure yeah I, yeah i look it's like i look down on my stupid little weather app like the second thing i check you know yeah we've gone from is it allergies or covid to is it allergies or the air quality from the nation on fire to our north you know it's <laughs> and i guess covid is is kind of surging again it's like it's strange like i definitely you know i got all my shots and everything but then after that i was like oh fuck it COVID's over um but apparently it's not i don't know and we just really the government just doesn't even care anymore um so i don't know what to tell you about that yeah it's 
pretty crazy. Like, it's just, you know, it's like, I mean, dude, you wrote this first Hell World book back. You published it in like 2019. I was just thinking the other day, I was like rereading the intro and I was like, man, like, that was like just a few years ago. The world's gotten so much worse since then. You know, know. like, this is already called Hell World. It's like, come on, man. Like, give us a fucking break. Like, oh, yeah, that was, I remember the, uh, the, uh, when we did the book launch for the book and it was at um, for the first welcome to hell world book. And it was at the, the big room in the strand, you know, New York city, there's kind of this like place you kind of dream about doing a reading when you're an author it was packed out, sold out. <clears throat> we had a great, it was me and David Roth and Ashley Feinberg, two friends and, and great writers. We had a great chat and great reading. And, and I was like, I think that was, it was January right before COVID, I was like, man, this is going to be my year. Everything's, everything's turning up Luke right now, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, things really kind of slammed to a halt not too long after that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that basically I'm the main victim of COVID. (laughs) That's the worst thing that happened was my career being derailed. (laughs) So this new book is short fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, have you been writing a lot of short stuff in the past? Have you been published in other places or is this just sort of a, a new avenue for you to explore? Well, you know, um, like I said, I went to, when I was mentioning, I was at Emerson years ago, I was doing a M- MFA in, in writing and poetry uh, in fiction and poetry. And uh, I always wanted to be uh, write short stories and poems and uh you know, even back then, you know, this was like the early 2000s. Um, as, as hard, you could make a living as a journalist back then, you know, uh, and things very swiftly changed after that, a few years after that. But even back then, I knew, you know, as, as, as much as you're not going to get rich as a journalist, you're never going to make a living as a uh, as a poet. You know, that's. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like, well, I want to be a writer. I'll go write journalism so but so this is what I always originally wanted to do and I just waited like 20 years before I I went back to it for some reason I guess I guess I just I had a good relationship with my publisher or our books and they wanted me to write another book and I, I didn't want to do another you know collection from the newsletter so I thought oh, I don't know maybe I'll try this and and then they just they they really just sort of came flowing out of me pretty easily so I was, I was very happy to do that yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the the style is like the style you perfected working on the newsletter, though. From I, I have to admit, I have not finished the book yet. I've gotten like a quarter of the way through it, but from what I've read, it's it's similar in a lot of ways to the kind of stuff you. Yeah, totally. You no, you're newsletter. right. It, yeah, it is like that. It's basically the same style. It's just, and and you know, a lot of the same themes. You know, climate disasters and police shootings, and you know, uh, police violence and school shootings, and and you know my general sort of malaise, you know, and, and fear of mortality and all that sort of shit. But, um, but it's also, uh, and this is important. It's also from what I hear, everyone tells me it's also funny. So um, because, you know, nobody wants to just read this sad sack bullshit without, you know, having some sort of break, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just like uh, what you've really nailed down is like this like just stream of consciousness that is talking about all this like horrific stuff, but somehow it like just ends up being 
funny or weird or whatever you know it just yeah because that's the thing and and, you know you said like something earlier about how captures um you know how we all sort of react to the world now or something like that but anyways that's that's exactly the idea because you know i spend personally spend so much time online now and i'm sure you guys spend a lot of time and terminally yep yeah, yeah. terminally <laughs> online exactly right and it's like a deluge of you know school shooting flood you know basketball highlight school shooting dick joke you know and like that's how like that's you know it's like when when you're scrolling that's what it is you know and that's sort of how my brain is I'm wired and that we're we're processing all of these things at the same time you know like i still follow a lot of funny people online and we all tell jokes and goof around and stuff but it's really in the midst of that the most horrible things you've ever seen are happening on the same platform so i don't know that's really sort of changed the way i think and that's what i kind of try to capture with the writing yeah um sorry sorry, this is very boring to anyone who's never heard of me (laughs) (laughs) we can talk about the patriots chances well (laughs) is there so speaking of hell world right it's yeah These short stories are are like, they're, they're like really short. Like they're often like a couple pages long or less. Um, Is there like a particular one that you want to read maybe? Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) No, see actually the thing about that, you know, and I do reading sometimes, but because of the run on sentences and and, and the no punctuation, I feel like it's not, they're not really meant to be read aloud because it's kind of baked in that, I want someone to go back and read a sentence over and over. Wait, 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 what was that? It doesn't make sense. You sound like you're supposed to want to have clarity of your language and people to, you know, just be able to breeze by it. But I kind of like want it to be like a speed bump situation. And so you have to go back and, and read things over uh, to get through them. So, so I know it wouldn't be good for me to read. All right. <laughs> Fair are enough. There, are there some, some authors you've been reading recently that you do recommend that you've really enjoyed that, you know, perhaps have influenced how you've approached this collection? I mean, I think, I don't know about recent ones. I, I think um, the two major influences that I talk about are Donald Bartleby and, you know, uh, who was a postmodernist short story writer um, from, you know, in like the 60s and 70s and, uh, and, and Virginia Woolf um, was a big influence as well. Um, I don't, I don't read as much fiction right now as I would like to, um, which is like a stupid thing for writing fiction to say, but, um, I really just kind of like, I think something happened around COVID where I just like stopped being able to focus on reading books for a long time. And, uh, I haven't really. And this is a great job selling my book. I don't read. <laughs> I don't know how to read. But it's I don't of... like. I don't like to read anymore. I don't know how to use punctuation. They can't be read aloud. Buy another book. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's that the blurb is, for the second run. That's... That is basically it. But it somehow people like it. I don't yeah, know I mean, look, we wouldn't have had you on the yeah, podcast yeah. if we thought no. it was dog shit. So right. you are <laughs> you are speaking some sort of truth on this because you know, like I always bemoan the fact that Twitter seemed to kill the blog off, um, yeah. in the sense that it's like nobody had the time or energy to read one long form thing. 
as opposed to 50 short form things yeah all of which were like laser focused into what you wanted to be and it was like i was so excited that like the newsletter era started back up again and like you know it had the energy of blogs without you know all the technological nonsense that went along with that and it's like even that now it's like we've hit the newsletter industrial complex that you know yeah. doesn't want to de-establish itself you know and i worry i worry about about that now collapsing well, there's no jobs i mean a lot of these people don't have, a lot of these people don't want to be doing newsletters they'd rather have a stable job with benefits and and you know real hours and that sort of thing um but those are all going away as we as we mentioned yeah i mean in some ways it is like the gigification of journalism you know where you have people doing this stuff when wouldn't it be great if the local paper was still around or like a magazine or something you know yeah i know it it this isn't the ideal i mean it, it can be great for individuals who who want who do who who figure it out but it's bad the newsletter uh economy is bad i think for media in general you know um because you know like we were saying earlier all these all weeklies in, in these small town newspapers are all either just going out of business or being bought up by venture capital vampires and stripped for parts you know yeah yeah i mean just the number i don't have the exact figure in front of me but just the, what we've seen it's just evident if you read the paper like in massachusetts like all these uh gannett owned newspapers that have been bought up and they've just been like stripped down to the bone like they've barely got any people working in the newsrooms anymore they like get rid of the they axe the copy desk you know they've oh, the you know, design they they like centralize the design yeah. one place and uh you know yeah it's it's really I mean, the, the, you know, the end result is things just becoming worse because, you know, as you guys know, as you kind of try to uncover uh, things that, that, you know, local officials don't want out there, um, if nobody's doing that, like they, there used to be a little bit of a check on, you know, not that there wasn't corruption and not that if you weren't a power, not powerful enough politician, you could just sort of steamroll the press anyways. But now there is these massive you know, news deserts throughout the country where nobody is going to the town meeting at all, you know, like not even one overworked asshole. It's just like nobody's going. And even if they were, people aren't going to read it anyways and certainly not going to pay for it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the stuff that I've been working on, a lot of public records requests that just take forever to do anyway. And it's like, I'm doing this on my spare time when I'm not working my full-time job and I'm not, you know, hanging out with my family and doing this at the other thing, you know, I mean, I would be, I would probably be the best journalist in the world if this could be my full-time job, you know, just by virtue of the fact that I'd have time to do all the things I want to, but it's, you know, it's, you know, when you see all this stuff collapsing, it's like, I can't even freelance it anymore because there's not enough outlets to do the freelance stuff and nobody's going to pay for it. No, no, what's the point? (laughs) Unless it has something to do with something, you know, big and scandal. Like nobody gives a shit about local town officials. Nobody, people barely even give a. Sh- nobody gives a shit about state senators. You know, and uh, and that's where some of these real dickheads. You know, like this is that. That's like where they cultivate the dickhead that becomes you know, that grows into it's these. The, it's the dickhead garden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's where they learn. You know, to be corrupt, and then. And all of a sudden, we're, they're on the national stage. It's like, where did this guy come from? You know, like, 
Or even, or even when you think about it in terms of like very hyper local politics in Massachusetts, where you know you have a lot of town administrators and a lot of town managers who just bounce from one place to another as they get you know booted out of one spot or you know have to have to resign under curious circumstances in right. one place and just get another job in another place because there's 350 towns but only 200 people who want to be a manager. You know, right. it's right. terrible. And same with police. You know, they oh god, yeah, shuffled around. <laughs> Um, like that story, Andrew. You worked at what was that? Uh, Hadley Police, or who? What was that guy who keeps getting shuffled around? Oh, you're talking about the guy out in Berkshire County at uh, Egremont, and uh, yeah, he yeah. he got bumped out of, or he he resigned technically, but he was recommended to be terminated from um, Shirley, Massachusetts, and then he got a job out in Berkshire County in Egremont, and got into some more hot water. Yeah. Yeah, that happens in so many of these uh, these like small town police departments. The guy will bash someone's head in, and then he'll either resign or you know, I mean, it's so impossible for cops to get in any kind of trouble in the first place. So imagine like how bad you must have been to actually get fired, you know? And then they just shuffle off to the next place, and nobody even knows. It's like the fucking Catholic Church out here, you know? Yeah, I mean, some of these some of these towns are like so small that they're they're not going to support a local newspaper unless you have like a big like regional paper that is successful enough that it can kind of branch out into the surrounding area and you know sell some papers in the those towns and get some reporters out there. Then it's like there is no check. It's just like people do whatever they want, you know. And there's nobody, you know, there's going to be no consequences for them. You know, there isn't even like that sense that uh, maybe nobody can do anything about this, but I can't be publicly, even publicly shamed. Like what? So why should I feel any shame at all? You know? Yeah. And that's sort of a Trumpy thing. I think he really showed the way for a lot of these guys that you just don't like, you know, never apologize, never back down. There's no consequences. So why own it if nobody is going to hold it to you anyway? Right. Like, what are, the, what are you going to do? You can't, you know, it's. You're going to scold me? Okay. Right. <laughs> it's not like anyone on the right, they're not going to, you know, impeach one of their own. They're not going to, you know, get them in any trouble. Um, I can't believe this dude, Santos, or whatever, from. <laughs> you have to be like criminally comic, like comically. <laughs> corrupt even face any consequences and meanwhile is he anything even going to happen to the guy he's like still i haven't followed that he hasn't no. gotten any consequences yet as far as i can tell yeah i don't i don't really know <laughs> i haven't heard anything major there, was there some kind of investigation i don't know yeah, uh, no i don't i don't i haven't been following it either but i know that there was all sorts of he's, every other time i turn around he's there's some sort of uh new uh, bizarre story yeah suspicious yeah. money you know going in and out of his campaign so um, all right, so my last thing for you, you sent out a newsletter about a month ago about my favorite band in the world, R.E.M. Oh, oh good. <laughs> and, and I got to say that, um, you know, I have now created this new goal for myself where I get featured on somebody else's newsletter to talk about my favorite band. But uh. um, I really loved that. Um, I thought there were a lot of really interesting things in there. I'm kind of curious as to, you know, First, like what attracts you to that band? Because clearly you have a love for them the way that a lot of people do. But more like I find Ariane was one of the first bands that I knew of that were like really political. 
and really like had a point of view and weren't afraid to express it. And right. that was like for a teenager, for a 13 year old who was not listening to cool music at that point, because REM was not cool by that time. Right. You know, that was cool to me, you know, even if I didn't agree with them. So yeah. I'm kind of, you know. Well, yeah, I came to them. I, I certainly appreciated them as a political entity as well. And I have to wonder, like, you know, we were talking about Kingston where I grew up. Like, I, I often wonder is how I came I grew up in 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 a place like the South Shore of Massachusetts and wasn't like a homophobe or wasn't like a reaction, you know. And I think that really was, and it sounds cliche to say now, but I think it really was because of Nirvana and REM, you know, like these were these, you know, Nirvana was pretty political too. It was less overt in the lyrics and everything. Um, but the the way Kurt Cobain talked about masculinity and that and all and stuff like that. And Michael Stipe, of course. Uh, was super overly political. Um, and I really do think is, you know, I guess it must have been like just catching those two bands at the right time and really having an effect on me, you know. Um, but R.E.M., I, I think I probably didn't come, you know, I, I graduated in like the mid 90s in high school and I was listening, you know, R.E.M. was like my favorite band at the time. And uh, it was just like this, you know, wistfulness lived in feeling that that made me you know made me makes you feel kind of older than you were when you were a teenager you know and uh you know especially stuff like especially a record like automatic for the people which has really has this sense of uh nostalgia and looking back on the past and, and that sort of woven throughout it so i think that was what really appealed to me and then you know it's insane that they've and then I, you know, went back to everything that came before when I wasn't, you know, I was too young to pay attention. And it's just like, it's basically just like a post-punk band for those first two records. And, uh, you know, really just ignited my love of music. I mean, they weren't the first band I loved, but they were probably like the most important, you know. And I've been... I always, I go through it like every nine months or so, I just like have a playlist of all my favorite <laughs> songs and it's like 14 hours long. And it's, <laughs> you know, I find something new every single time that just like speaks to, speaks to me, speaks to where I'm at. Um, you know, my mother passed away five years ago and Sweetness Follows, like oh, yeah, just absolutely yeah. just like grabbed my heart and would not oh, let go. Yeah, and it's like, you know, that, that's the kind of, that's the kind of band they are. And that's the kind of, you know, they make you feel things and, yes, you know, to bring it back around, you know, what is this hell world thing all about? Cause the world is making us feel things, right? right. <laughs> it, really is. it really is. And I think we can all agree that my work is as important as REMs to the world. <laughs> yes. Maybe more so. Maybe more so. Maybe I more so. It, but you, yeah. you, Luke, uh, real quick, another music question for you. Uh, Rage Against the Machine or Audio Slave, if you had to pick? Oh, geez. I, I, now, Rage Against the Machine, I'll tell you what, that was literally, well, okay, so I have this thing where I used to lie about what my first concert was because I thought it was dorky. Uh, <laughs> so I would say my first concert was Lollapalooza in 93, and the first band that opened that day was Rage Against the Machine. And it was at uh, some Air Force base in Rhode Island. I must have been, you know, 14 years old or something like that. Um, and they just blew my mind. Blew, you know, uh, again, with the polit political stuff, they were also pretty important in my political awakening. Um, the real first show later that I realized it was actually cool to say was uh, Weird Al with the Monkees. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that, that I didn't realize how cool that was until I became an adult. I was like, you know what? That's a very cool first concert. Um, I love, uh, you know, Chris Cornell. I, I've written about him uh, on, on, on the blog. But, the singer uh, of Audio Slave for people who aren't yeah. familiar. Um, and they've got a bunch of great songs, but, uh, you know, Rage Against the Machine for me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so Luke, now where you're can on people record. find you? Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on record as um, Rage over Audio Slave. Uh, you know, Welcomehellworld.com is the newsletter. Please sign up. Um, it's um, it's kind of rambling and all over the place, like everything I've been saying here today. And uh, my uh, my new book, A Creature Warning Form, is uh, you can get it wherever you know you get your books online. But if you can get it at a local indie bookstore, call them up and ask them to buy it. That would be great. All right, Luke. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks, guys. Nice talking to you. I'll yeah. see you around and uh, awesome. you know, keep up the good work with the with the, the 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 muckraking and so forth. <laughs> appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. Thank thanks. You've been listening to Lights Out Mass. I'm Andrew Clamer. I write the Mass Dump newsletter. That's andrewqmr.substack.com. That's where you can find this podcast. You can also find us on Apple and Spotify. And I'm Jeff Raymond with the Mass Transparency Project in Bramonville Tribune, masstransparency.org, bramonvilletribune.com, or at Twitter, Jeff and Milbury. Our theme music is Sunbleach by Lifeformed. You can find more music at Bandcamp. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. <laughs>